I did not know there was another adaptation of The Shining from 1997. What? I also did not know this. A miniseries of The Shining. Well, shit. The book is really good. Have you ever read the book? I have not. The Shining the book is not The Shining the movie. Hold on. Maybe maybe I'm thinking of something else. But this, I vaguely recall watching like the first episode of it or something. This was the first miniseries to be produced on the Sci-Fi Channel. The Shining was? No. Um... Dune. Dune, okay. Yeah. Followed by Taken, which I think we've talked about. It's really good. And then Children of Dune. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. An episode of Strange and Beautiful Book Club Deep Cuts. Dune Edition. Maybe you should lean, but like when you're getting ready to say it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We, do we need the awkward? We can't change anything about our process or it will lose its magic. Okay. So the, the fact charm. That I, the fact that I have to reach under the microphone and stretch around to hit the button. It's like the, it's the bubbles and glassware that they talk about in Fight Club. Yes. Just like that. <laughs> it's a wabi-sabi. You know, it's the the uh, inherent charm of chaos. The sincerity of... Imperfection. Imperfection. Yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go, there's the new tagline for <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> the sincerity of imperfection. <laughs> oh, I think that would work. I just, I posted a reel to our story today, and it's like uh, podcasters thinking they're deep. Did you watch that? I had that one saved to send to you. <laughs> you know, listen. The way that I I have a list on Instagram just for Rachel yes. that I save things to so that I can paste them out at a more reasonable cadence. Yeah. I rather than just send you 20 at a time. I didn't feel called out. I didn't feel called out, but I thought that was really funny. I felt a little called out. Did you? But we're not making this shit like, up. Half the time we're referencing something somebody else said. Right. And yeah. I I usually try to, you know, ground it. Yeah. So Listen, I when I throw out a weird term, yeah, I define it. Kate sent me a reel that I meant to send to you and I don't think I got around to it. But it's this lady who's like, oh, you're such a know-it-all. And the other lady goes, I don't understand why people get angry at me and think that I'm going to be upset when you call me a know-it-all. Oh, well, you think you know it all. No, I don't think I know it all. I don't understand why you don't want to know more. She says, I think you should think of me more as a wonder about it all. I like that. 
it's not about me knowing more. It's about the fact that I love knowing things. And one of my great joys in life is sharing the things I know. And I'm not trying to tell you I know it all. I am acutely aware of how little I do know. That's the whole point. That's why it's so significant. Yeah. And I'm not trying to show you I know more than you. I'm trying to share something that brings me joy. So why don't you shut up about it? (laughs) You literally started a podcast about your favorite TV show. I mean, yeah, because I want (laughs) to share the joy of it. Or like we're doing a Dune deep dive. Dune is something that we both greatly enjoy. I think it's a really interesting book. I think it's good as a narrative. It's good as a thought-provoking commentary. It's great literature. It's good. And people have clearly, it has spoken to a lot of people because we've adapted it like a fucking bunch of times, okay? Enough that we can have like 15 podcast episodes just about adaptations of the first book. We haven't even gotten to the adaptations of the second and third book, much less the second and third books themselves. But we're here to wrap up the sci-fi miniseries from 2000, Frank Herbert's Dune, with the third and final episode, which is like an hour and 40 minutes long. These were three movies. Yes, three movies played on the sci-fi channel. Yeah, and I think I mentioned it. Maybe I'll leave it in. I don't know. But this was sci-fi's first miniseries that they produced for the show or for the channel. Followed by Taken, which is another great miniseries. Maybe we'll do that one next. But I think it's a solid first outing. This is a solid wrap-up. Is it the strongest episode of the three? I would argue probably not. But it's fine. It's good. It gets us where we need to go. We talked a lot in the second episode about how they bring a lot of the conflict from the third part into the second part. Because otherwise the second part is a bit dry. The problem with that is we don't have anywhere to go. Right. We're, we've already, we've already set peaked. all the hooks. Yeah. In so episode two. Yeah. We, we've set all the dominoes up. And first we got the dominoes and then we put the dominoes, set them up. And then the third episode is really just knocking down all the dominoes. Um, I would argue we had the most fun watching this one because there were plenty of riffable scenes, notably. Um, Paul Gurney, we meet Gurney again, finally, and we get the cool scene where he's like, will you enlist with me, Gurney? And we can finally wipe the Harkonnens from this planet. And he's like, my Lord, I never left your service. I never left your service. And then they, he sees Jessica or they find Jessica comes to the siege where they are and Gurney almost kills her. And Paul didn't know it was going to happen, which is what happens in the book. And he's like, well, shit, I didn't foresee that. I should have. That, pro- that would have been a bummer. I am not doing enough drugs. I got to go. Do- <laughs> <laughs> I have got to do I am, more. I am through with this gateway bullshit. <laughs> I need to hit the hard stuff that can kill me if I'm not careful. Yeah, that's exactly what he needs to do. And that's exactly what he does. He runs off. He gets the water of life. It's much more dramatic in this one because he goes back to their abandoned siege and gets the water of life there instead of just like, hey, you guys, um, make coffee. I'll be back in 15. <laughs> just dips out to go get it. And he takes the water of life. He's sitting in the hands of the Mahdi statue that we talked about earlier. 
and we like pan around him. And when we go behind him, we see what he's seeing, which is that um, like prescient space. Yep. And we're getting really heavy use of our like colored lighting theme. Oh, yeah. Lighting totally off the chart in this episode. They were just like, fuck it. Blue, green, red. You get them all. All at the same time. Sometimes none. Sometimes all of them. Sometimes just bright natural light. Whatever. The lighting is impeccable in this episode as it is in the first two. But he kind of comes back enough after seeing like his vision of the future, the jihad. He's kind of seeing like we're not really seeing clearly what he's seeing because we've already had a vision where he saw like green grass spreading across dune. And we saw worms like waving in the wind. I don't think we actually see him take the water of life. No, we don't see him drink he wa- it. He leaves, uh, he leaves the room where Jessica and Gurney had their kerfuffle. Yeah. And and then we don't see him again until Chani shows up and he's laid out in the bed. We see him when Othium comes to find him. Because Othium's like, but, well, Othium's that's, looking that's earlier. for him. He's, he's off. He's taken a huge amount of spice to try to see farther and he's meditating and... Othium went to look for him, but he no, hasn't taken the water of life that's yet. That's when he's taken the water of life. That's what he's doing after he sat in the hands. That's why he passes out. Do we need to pause it and go watch it again? I think we do. Okay, Because let's that go. happens way before. Let's go. Big snack energy. <laughs> All right. So we went back and watched it. And, and damn you, Rachel. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your perfect recall of movies. Sometimes. Um, in this case, yes, because I freaking loved this miniseries and I watched it like a bunch. So, indeed, Gurney tries to kill uh, the lady Jessica. And... And gets embarrassed. Um. Yeah, he gets... Like he was ever going to be able to get away with killing her? I don't know what he thought that well, was going to... I don't know, but... That aside, Paul... Yeah, like she would let him. Right, Paul... She only let him do that because she trusts him. Paul finds them together and he's like, holy shit, I have not done enough drugs. And so he just dips and he goes back to the abandoned siege. Yes. And we like see him look down at the sand pool that has the baby worm in it. And then Othium is trekking over the sand with this thing dragging behind him to cover his footsteps, which I think is pretty cool. And then he looks over at the siege and there's like clouds gathering in the sky. This is a little much. Um, one of the things that I like about the book is that Paul is a man who believes he is a god, but who is not actually a god. So anytime we skirt up close to the the things that are happening to him are supernatural in an exterior way. Right, they're they're affecting reality. Yeah, that gets I, a little. I picked it up as, you know, they're all a little prescient. They're um, kind of linked. Okay. And Paul's vision was like so intense that even Othian was picking up on his vibes. I get it. He goes in there. He and he sees Paul sitting in the hands of the statue, and he's having like a transcendental experience because we kind of pan around his face. And we realize what he's seeing isn't the siege. It's that same, like, in-between space. The place that the Bene Gesserit cannot look. Right. But 
he's looking. He's looking real hard. And then we like pan back around and we get the full light spectrum, including red, which I suppose is our first hint that Paul is actually hearkening because this is when he figures it out. He tells his mom that like pretty much as soon as he talks to her again, he's like, yeah, so how do you like the fact that um, your dad's the Baron Harkonnen, which makes me his grandson? How do you like them apples? Yeah, and right about this time, we don't we get a snippet of the Har- Baron doing his like temple rubbing thing? Yeah, this is another thing that I'm like, oh, God, 2000s. You were such a treasure because apparently hand gestures are genetic. <laughs> Uh, because the Baron Harkonnen like rubs his temple really aggressively. He does it throughout the series. You just right. only start to notice later that Paul also does it. And I think Jessica actually does it once or twice. And they just like rub their like eye temple area right beside their left eye. And apparently that's like, you know, it's passed down in the genes. Yeah. yeah. It's a, what does she call ancestral memory? A daub where you can literally. What, is, what was a daub? It was the. Let me look it up because I think it'll be helpful. While you're looking that up, I think I might put together a collection of um, the best hats from this series. <laughs> Adab, the demanding, the, the demanding memory that comes upon you itself. Okay, so kind of. It's kind of an intrusive thought. Yeah. But a memory. A memory that's forced upon you, but it's out from outside of you. It's yeah. not always your memory. Sometimes it's from another thing. Right, like genetic memory. Yeah. So this is a bit genetic memory. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Because we do this a lot. This is supposed to be our like, ooh, are they are they related? <laughs> so, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, and then he collapses. He has his vision. He does the like hand on the other either side of his head, everything's shaking, and then he's like, he just passes out. Yeah, Othium sees him collapse. Yeah. And then we cut to the future and Chani has been summoned to the siege and everybody's at the siege and Stilgar and Gurney are kind of having a little powwow on the on the like raised platform and everybody else is kind of praying and rocking and whatever because um, Muad'Dib is in a spiritual trance. And movie sequence wise this is right after he tells Chani to take um Take their son and go. Yeah, to go the to the south. southern siege. Yeah, and just to be protected. Right. And then we have the scene with Othium, and then we immediately the next scene is Chani. Yeah, and she's up. coming back with a cool hat, which is why I mm-hmm. mentioned the hats. And we get a nice turnaround because in this adaptation, we in no way obfuscate how much of a bitch Lady Jessica can be. Right, it's for the good of her son. Though. I feel like she gets pedestaled in the first book and a lot of adaptations. The like, mm-hmm. oh, she is like the rep. She's like Christ mother. She's like Mary, mother of Paul. <laughs> she's like, you know, this divine being who, you know, she defied orders and had a son out of love. Well, this one act of love ends up killing like billions and billions of people because she sets off the jihad. But oops. Oops. Um, and we really kind of gloss over that. But in this one, we let her be the judgy bitch she is. Another she... part of the previous adaptations is basically once she becomes the reverend mother, 
we never see her again. Yeah, she disappeared. So she's put up on this pedestal and then just set on the shelf. Yeah. For ceremonial purposes. Thank you for the plot hook, Lady Jessica. See you never. Just set her up on the shelf. But she does not like Chani. And we've covered that several times. Like she doesn't think Chani is good enough for Paul. She doesn't think Chani is intelligent enough to know that she can't love Paul the way she wants to love Paul. She thinks Chani wants more from Paul than he can give. And she doesn't trust Paul to be able to say no to Chani. Right. And he, she thinks Paul is going to give Chani more than he should give. Right. And this is a nice is reversal. Compromise his royal position, whatever. Right. That he's going to give everything up for this backwater tryst that he started out in the sands that one time when he was 15. Not realizing, of course, that. Paul's relationship to Chani is something that she can't even really conceive of because it is, I don't want to say faded mates. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say faded mates, but at the same time, oh, faded mates. I mean, they're, they've been, to, he knows they're together. They've been together. He knows. Thus it was prophesied. Chani. Yeah. And he's basically like, mom, fucking get over it. We're together. It just, this is happening. Okay. And still she doesn't accept her until this moment because she's tried absolutely everything and she can't wake Paul up. And at this point, she's literally stopping them from just taking his water and moving on because he's a waste of resources right now. Right. And the Fremen are infinitely practical. I'm sure they would build him a nice memorial shrine after they did it, but they want to do it. And she doesn't know what to do. So she calls Chani back. And Chani is the one who realizes that he has taken the water of life. And we cover all of that in this adaptation. The fact that she is the one who brings him back because she knows what to do, which is give him more water of life. Right. He didn't drink enough to be able to change it, to be able to create the catalyst, to change it, to be able to come back. So once she gives him more water of life, he pops up like a daisy. His process finishes? Yeah. He's like, good morning, everybody. <laughs> oh, Chani, wait, you're you're supposed to be. Didn't I send you away? What? I just sent you away. But did are you already disobeying me? Is that what we're doing right now? And she's like, dude, I've been gone for weeks. You have been like comatose. And he ends up showing his mother because he sits up and he's like, mother, <laughs> <laughs> the things I've seen. She goes, have you seen the future? He goes, the now, mother. <laughs> <laughs> The future and the present and, and the past. All I do at once. like the consistent like response from Paul whenever somebody's like, Well, what does the future like what did you see in the future? And he's like, God, you don't understand. Like I've been trying to explain it to you for years. That's not how any of this works. Right. I don't just see the future. I see the now. I see what is what the now could be. Yeah. And yeah, it's more nuanced and all that. Yeah, it's very Siddhartha. Remember when he's sitting in the river and he's got his feet in the river and he's like time and life or whatever. The universe is kind of like the river. Mm -hmm. We see it passing in front of us, but the whole river actually exists all at once. Yeah. The, the water before us, the water past us and the water in front of us all exist at the same time. Only our experience is just the water running over our feet. Right. And so he's talking about the entire river, the now. And so he takes his mom and he like pulls her into 
the Kwisatz Haderach's base. And she's like, oh my God, you are the Kwisatz Haderach. And he's like, no, I'm something else. <laughs> something un unknown, unplanned. Yeah, and I'm here before my time. Because you did this. <laughs> you did this. And they have kind of a cut, which this is the thumbnail that they use on IMDb for this. The like weird color Jessica where mm -hmm. she turns and her eyes are a weird color. I don't know. It's not great. I don't know why we use that. There's so many other like nicely done shots in this show. But whatever. Basically, he freaks his mom out. He's like. Hey, I just wanted you to get a taste of what goes on up here. And then he comes out to address the Fadaikin, because that's who've all gathered. And he's like, the emperor is in the space above us right now, along with all the royal houses. And they're like, uh, how can you know that? You were just passed out. And, he's and like, we just found out. We just found out. And he's like, you know, in my ways. Because <laughs> he could sense them up there. The now, mother. The now, mother. <laughs> and he's basically like, this is it. I'm about to crush a bitch. I'm going to do it. And they're like, well, what were you doing? And Chani let slip. Like, look, he took the water of life. And they're like, well, great. He's like the best dude ever. He should probably kill Stilgar and take over the siege. Which is the thing. The time is past due. Yeah. And I like the like low, like the bottom up film that we do when we, we like record Othium shouting, like, mm -hmm. call him out. Cause he like spits. <laughs> and you can see the like, this. You really have spit to commit fountain. to the phrase. Like that dude delivered that line. Okay. He delivered that line so hard he fountained spit. And it was immortalized on film. And kept in the final cut because it really shows that like they were also into this like ev every single actor was a brilliant choice even the small parts mm -hmm. and they're basically like call him out let's do this and this is when he's like i'm leading up to something here i'm not just recapping for no reason i'm leading to something and this is when he like puts on his little ducal ring which is like a crystal triangle it's not it looks really uncomfortable the way yeah it doesn't it's supposed to be like a i sign my letters with this ring right but instead it's just like a right how, how do you like press that into wax it, or whatever uh, is it like a data crystal what is what is happening with this ring and then he like lifts it up and he's like i am your duke and then he makes water <laughs> come out from <laughs> which is <laughs> another thing where he his power is like manifesting yeah. in physical reality. This skirts which... a little too close to the I am actually divine. Yeah. Yeah. No bueno. We don't want that. But Matt was like, ooh, he really had to pee. <laughs> <laughs> He's been holding it for weeks. <laughs> and just keeps going and going. And the scene was so long after he said that. It was just like awkward sitting there while he's just like, Ugh. he's making like a strained face too because he's calling this water from wherever he's calling it from. There's probably like uh, a couple really of Fremen throwing buckets down by. They're him. just draining the, the well, the basin where yeah. they drown the little maker. Out through the hands. And he, Paul didn't drain it when he was done. And so they're like, oh, okay. Fine, whatever. We'll just drain it right now for, for dramatic effect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Or he had to pee. Who knows? But again, this is kind of like at the end of the David Lynch one where he makes it rain. Mm -hmm. And it's too on the nose. 
every other adaptation choice up till this one was brilliant. And I, I get it. We kind of needed a transition point. We needed them to like slam dunk. He's the Mahdi. He's the one we need to be following. Muad'Dib is the best. Ra Rago Muad'Dib. And the most slam dunk way to do that was this, like a show of power to show what the water of life has done to him. Right. Yeah. And in the meantime, we actually get more Irulan. And there's some pretty good Irulan scenes in this. I think what they chose to do with Irulan is brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. It only adds and amplifies the story. This is really the standout part of this miniseries, is the expansion of Irulan's role. Because she's talking to her dad... Because Raban has been squeezing Dune and Paul has been raiding Dune and shit's fucked up. Shit, shit's fucked up right, right. now. Like, Arrakis is not productive. Yeah. It's making some, but it's not making a lot. I mean, the spice is kind of flowing, but it ain't flowing like it used to. It's a trickle. And I mean, this shit's important. They can't let this go. And... The emperor was really relying on the baron to handle his shit. That's why he backed him. That's why he threw in his chips with the baron. And he's not coming through. And there's not really anything the emperor can do about it without exposing his own role in what happened to the Atreides. Atreides. So we get this really interesting exchange because there is a lot of intrigue in the book that you have to try to convey, if you want to convey it at all, if you just copied the scenes, they'd be so dry, you would die. It'd be like a seven hour long movie of conversations. So you have to foreshorten these little snippets into something that's consumable and quick and readily understandable. And they do an excellent job of summarizing the full extent of what is happening in just a couple of exchanges with Irulan. Right. Because there's the part where they're in his office and I don't, did they not own another dress for this man to wear? Yeah. It's just this purple dress with a varying amount of shoulder pad. Yeah. Small shoulder pad, exceptionally large shoulder pad, you know. But they convey in the show what the reader has been like cobbling together from bits and pieces. Yeah. And they just summarize it and yeah. boop, zip okay, it up. Here's what you would have gotten from all the details dispersed right. through the entire from book. From just a couple Irulan interactions. Yeah. She becomes like the foil, the character that explains to the reader the background intrigue of what is happening without it feeling like this character is there solely to keep us up to speed. Right. They fold her in very nicely. Because we get that office scene where she's like, he's like, what is he doing? Why is he letting Raban destroy spice production like and this? This Irulan's is ridiculous. Like, I know some things you don't know, Father. Irulan's like, huh. I wonder if he's hoping to like replace him with somebody better. Like maybe he's on the side of Muad'Dib. Maybe this is all some kind of big plan. And he's like, well, what what could he possibly do? And oh, he's yeah, like, oh, she I adds know. that little twist. Like, not only is the Baron doing a bad job, he's actually doing a bad job on purpose. Yeah. And in 
she kind of mentions, well, maybe like Fade. Yeah, she goes, the cute one. The cute Fade. one. And she's just sitting there reading a book like, right, and she's, I'm absolutely she's not totally dropping this knowledge on you. Like casual, like, oh, oh man, that he's so cute. May, maybe he's just getting Arrakis ready for Fade. Uh, I know if Fade showed I'd up, go, I'd be happy I'd to go visit him, him yeah. on Arrakis. And then she's like, oh, but wait, you know, there's all this Fremen stuff going down. Maybe the Baron's working with the Fremen Hmm. and maybe, or maybe his goal is to work with the Fremen. So he's not, he's, you know, Raban's squeezing them and then he's going to send in Fade. And Fade is going to make the entire Fremen population friendly to the Baron. Yeah. And we all know how well the Sardaukar do against the Fremen. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that interesting, father? And then she goes right back to her book. Yeah. And her dad, like, storms off. He's like, I think we need to bring the Baron here. Like, summon the Baron here. I need to have a conversation with her, with him. And then as soon as he leaves, Count Fenric turns to her and he's like, nicely done. Good job. <laughs> Good job. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to tell that to the Emperor for years. <laughs> yeah, but literally just by taking this one character who already exists, we didn't even need to, like, we didn't even need to make her up. We could just... Pluck her from the story, give her a far, far, infinitely larger role. Because really, Irulan doesn't have a role in the book. Not really. Except as a a connection to be formed for political power. At the very end. At the very end. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So this was, I mean, you want to talk about what makes a good adaptation. Is that me or you? That was me like i don't know gurgle up has that never throat. happened to you before it happens it oh. just never happened that close to the microphone <laughs> i've never i've never heard it in my that's, ears that's the, same the carbonation way. just sitting right there at the <laughs> bottom of your esophagus but um we want to talk about what makes a good adaptation what makes a good adaptation what doesn't make a good adaptation just copying the book scene for scene does not make a good adaptation This is why I get frustrated when people are like, oh, they changed things. Well, yeah, sometimes things have to be changed. Let's take Stardust, for example. All translation is betrayal. All translation is, thank you. Yes. Thank you, R.F. Kwong. So, oh, that was from Babel, by the way. Listen to that episode. You want to, let's talk about Stardust. Okay. Stardust has a movie, Stardust has a book. The book is good, the movie is good. I would argue the movie is actually slightly better than the book for several reasons. Is it completely faithful to the book? No. Does it make choices that make it a better movie? Yes. Does it stay faithful to the central goal, the central story, the central characters of the book? Yes. So what you get is a... I think all adaptations should be in some part spiritual adaptations where we take the spirit the of the essence mo- of the story. Right, because what works in a book doesn't always work in a movie. And yeah, the you, way you communicate things in written word yeah. is different than how you can communicate things in video. But what you have to do is convey the same feeling to the viewer that the reader felt while reading it. Like when Jodorowsky said... He wanted, he said, you know, that feeling of like when you take LSD and you hallucinate. Yeah. 
I want the viewer of my movie to experience that same thing without having to take the LSD. Right. Um, sort of like that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm thinking more is when you're reading Dune, you get the sense of a lot of separate, a lot of disparate gears moving and all moving at first in this very delicate but intricate machine. And that you are only privy to some of the gears, but that there's so much happening and everything is connected. And you get the sense that this world is huge and complex and deep and mysterious and that you are going to get a glimpse of the intrigue that happens of the the way that the gears have to move within each other in order to stay in stability. When you make a movie, it is impossible to convey in the same way the sense of scale and intricacy and delicacy that you get from the book. Right. So It takes a different signal to produce the same response in the viewer. Right, because I'm not going to sit there and watch 27 hours of political conversations. Unless, I guess, isn't that what Game of Thrones is? <laughs> So I've heard. Okay, yeah. Politics, rape, and whatever. I don't know. I just, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I should not judge. I'm sorry. That was no shade on Game of Thrones. I read the first book. I read the first book. So I have a, like a small amount of credit. And I watched the first episode, and it was just like the book, and I thought, fuck that shit. And I stopped watching it. <laughs> okay, so well, we'll get back to things. Um, so what I think this adaptation does, so David Lynch gives us a sense of the mysticism of Dune, where David Lynch is very good about showing us how, um, so David Lynch's film is very much about the mysticism, the, the savior narrative of Dune. And I think Jodorowsky was, I don't know, we shouldn't really, because his was just going to be his own thing. He was going for something yeah, and we, it was going to be magical, but we can't put Jodorowsky's vision into words. Right. But I think that this adaptation does a good job of conveying the complexity of the world and the fact that everything that happens is political. Yeah, even, the motivations. Even the things that appear religious are ultimately political because Jessica took advantage of their myths to save them so that one day Paul could go back and be the Duke. So the only reason she is doing anything religious at all is to support her initial decision to fulfill their prophecies. And I think this adaptation conveys the intrigue really well, but in a way that feels like I can sit down for an hour and a half, I can watch this, I can maybe not pay attention to every word that comes out of everybody's mouth, and I can still feel like I am keeping up. Yeah. It makes every viewer feel like this story is obtainable, like it's understandable. Because from this, from his large P or whatever he does <laughs> off the hands, we kind of immediately go into the Baron shows up at the Emperor's house on Kaitane. And he's like, oh, um, hey, <laughs> yeah, so about the whole Dune thing, like... You know, I was absolutely not hoping that you would show up on Dune yourself 
so that I could maybe kill you and take your place or whatever. <laughs> definitely <laughs> not planning definitely. for anything like that. And it's a really interesting scene, too, because we've only seen the Baron and Fade in their own in their own setting. And when we pluck them out of their setting and put them in the palace in Kaitane, the Duke feels or the Baron feels much diminished. Yes. And so yeah, does and Fade. And I think that's a really effective Because he thing. does in the book yeah. too. When he shows back up at the very end of Dune in the books, he feels a lot dumber. It feels like, oh, you thought you right. were the smartest yeah, guy in the room. On Gaiety Prime, he's been the big honcho. And then when he does stuff on Dune, yeah, he's he's the top dog. Yeah. And then he walks into the room and realizes he's like the high schooler walking into the pro game. Yeah. Like he thought he was real, real smart. And then he meets the emperor and the emperor is like, thanks. There's a line from the British being human where um, the old ones show up. It doesn't matter the whole context, but the guy is talking to this young vampire who's been trying to like arrange this whole controversy to like make it easy for the old ones to come in and take over power or whatever. And so he's trying to tell them about it and he goes, why do you bring me this stupid plan and present it to me like a child giving me excrement? <laughs> giving me its own excrement. Like, look what I did. Isn't this great? Yeah. No, it's shit. That's what it is. It's a horrible plan. It's a horrible plan. And I think it's really interesting that they, the way they pulled that off, I think part of it's the lighting. Mm -hmm. Because up till this point, we haven't really seen the Baron in like full light. Lighting and perspective. Yeah. We also see the Baron from like top down. We don't see him from like bottom up like we normally do. Right. Because he's always floating up. Right. So we're, he's always in a you know physically higher position than everybody around him. Right. But now we're seeing him from a higher position, so it completely shifts our perception of him. Right. He seems smaller. He seems like... I just realized Thufur Hawat isn't in this no. working with the Baron. No. Gurney mentions that he's dead. Okay. He says, Duncan's dead. Tufer's dead. They were just like, that's too much. That's too complicated. We're not going to have this fucker milk a cat. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about the cat <laughs> it's fine we'll just it's fine that's i mean honestly it's fine it's good the things oh yeah, we yeah intended it's then, fine it's just it's a good cut. that that kind of like in the book gives the baron a crutch yeah since piter's gone he has a mentat to lean on yeah not despite so much the fact that he i think he would tell people that he doesn't need a mentat because yeah. he's smarter than a mentat right yeah but he actually does need a mentat if he actually wants to pull stuff off right and and so i think in this adaptation we kind of get oh yeah like the baron with a mentat was able to pull off the whole atreides thing yeah but then after he loses his mentat he tries another scheme of the same scope and it just falls apart right yeah i mean of the things we chose to include and chose not to include i'm fine with it i love however gross it may be that we do include the baron's proclivities yes but we it age definitely up, reinforces the character we age up his partners yes thank 
God. I don't think I could have watched child child activities yeah. on TV. But the fact that we just let him be like into young men is great. I know in the book it's part of the whole villainous package. The child part. Yeah. Not not the men being attracted to men. That's fine. Um, I'm not sure Frank would have thought it was fine. I don't know, Frank. I can't speak to that. He was making sure it felt villainous by using children. Right. I don't know that the miniseries really portrays this as being villainous. I think they just include it. Because we. it's always the same character. So it's like he has a favorite slave. Right. And it's not a child. And really, it's just so... I think so they could include that little nod to the book. Mm -hmm. And so we can have the scene where Fade tries to kill him. And, and the Baron calls him and out. And the Baron calls him out on it. Which the reason he knows that, it reminded me of that because Tufer tells him. Right. Um, he just knows. He's like, do you think I'm that stupid? And Fade's like, well, shoot. I kind of hoped it would work. He's like, what does he say? He's like, your quality goods or your, your good material, Fade. And I hate to waste good material. Yeah. So quit being a fucking idiot. Okay. And Fade's like. You need me here. <laughs> yeah. To advise you. I need to do your thinking, Fade. You're the face and I'm the brain. Let's stick together on this. Okay. <laughs> Pinky and the brain. Pinky and the brain. But then when we go, when we meet the emperor on Kaitane and Fade goes with him, Fade's cockiness comes off as stupidity. Because his cockiness on Gaty Prime comes off as like assurance and arrogance. But as soon as we take him out of his setting, he just comes off as like dense because he tries to talk to Irulan. We get like a he's mirror. Not reading scene. the room, we get a mirror scene, which is another yes, reason why I noticed this. So yeah. at the very beginning, we had the the window with Paul and Irulan, and they sparked, and that's like great. They zinged. <laughs> they zinged. <laughs> <laughs> And that really, you know, adds to the story. Right. Because of the dynamic that's going to come up at the very end. Right. And then Fade is like, oh, I'm just as good as Paul ever was. And so he comes in like, hey, Irulan, how you doing? Well, she did go out and try to seduce him a little well, bit. Yeah. So he shows up. But, he's like, hey, baby, look how hot I am. And she's like, hi, Fade. Bye. <laughs> bye, Fade. She, it's a very good... And so we have that s yeah. similarly framed scene where they're in front of a big circular window, except they don't zing. They zonk. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she leaves. Well, she's like... He's something, says something about the House Atreides and like the fall of the House Atreides. And she's like, remind me sometime to tell you about the ancient legend of the phoenix. And then she leaves, and he's like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> because the difference between Fade is he talked to Irulan. He was interested in Irulan. Fade is interested in what Irulan is, what she can do for him. Right. And he goes back to the Baron, and the Baron's like, yeah, that was great. You did a good job flirting with her. Get in, get that, hit that, because if we can get that, in. That's a nice backup that's plan. That's a nice backup plan, Fade. I like what you're doing there. Not realizing that that crashed and burned. Right. <laughs> that did not work out for anybody. Um, Neither of them were picking up all the signals. No, not at all. And this is when they end up going to Dune. Because we have this whole exchange around this table. Yeah, I think the Emperor takes both of them 
to Dune. Yeah, because we have this like meeting where everybody's talking about Dune and about what's happening on Dune. And the Emperor says something about summoning all the great houses. Yeah, and the Emperor is basically like, shit's worse than I thought. I need to go squash this Muad'Dib dude. Because the Baron is like, oh no, he's just a religious fanatic. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And the Baron, or the Emperor is like, yeah, it's funny how religious fanatics tend to become martyrs. Because the Baron's like, he just wants to commit suicide. He's like, yeah, when a, when a fanatic commits suicide, it's martyrdom. Like that people are going to, that's not. Baron, that's not going to help the situation. Yeah, yeah, you you are describing the problem right now and telling me it's not the problem while telling me the problem. Like, we need to go squash this right now. And so they summon everybody and they dip. They just take the whole palace, lift it up, and fly off. And he's like, <laughs> Which is a, an interesting take that the entire palace is a starship. Yeah. Well, when you're the emperor. And he's like. Why not? He's like, we're all going to Dune. Everybody's going to Dune. With. With the Spacing Guild's permission, of course. And the Spacing Guild's like, yeah, okay. But they're silly little hats. <laughs> and they're like... Wiggly wiggle. movement. Yeah, I did a little... Silly little hat movement. And that's when they go to Dune. And then, then Paul is like, yes. <laughs> they're playing into my I hands. love it when a plan comes together. I, know, I love it when a plan comes together. And this is also when they're like, oh, the southern siege is uninhabitable. Or the southern regions are uninhabitable. And... The emperor's like, who said that? And he's like, oh, you're a planetary ecologist, Kynes. And he's like, you mean the guy that died? And he's like, you mean the guy that had an accident? He's like, you have an awful lot of accidents on your watch, Baron. Yeah. And then he's like, send troops down to the southern region and see if they can find anybody living there. And we do include the fact that Paul's son dies. It is explicit. It's explicit? And we, we don't see, like, a baby dying yeah. or getting killed. But, like, the lead up to that. It's pretty sad. Yeah. I wish we'd done more, like, the fact that old old people, women, and children were able to kill a bunch of Sardaukar. Like, like all of them? Like, fight for every... And, like, the only reason the Sardaukar got away was because they turned their jets into the, like, entrance as they were trying to, like, fly away. Yeah. Yeah. But we see that. And even then, they only got one person out. Yeah. Yeah. Who, a person who, it turns out, wanted to be caught. <laughs> and this is, Paul wakes up because Chani came to him to wake him up. And so she's not there. And Paul wakes up and he's, she goes, what? What happened? And he's like, our son is dead. Our son died. She's legitimately sad. We do a really good job of, like, grieving for this child. Yeah, and we make... I like how the Paul and Chani relationship... There, there is the like their their character in public, but then anytime we have Chani and Paul in private, it's very intimate. Yeah, it's very, very fam familiar, it's casual. And, yeah, 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 like friends, like longtime friends and lovers, and yeah, yeah, they're in love. It, it, it's a really good love story, and yeah. they actually make it a love story. And Chani is messed up because her son died, as opposed to the book where they're like. Oh, I think your son died. And he's like, well, now I'm well, mad. Shit. Now I'm mad. Yeah. Let's do this. And he never talks to Chani about it. I'm or really going to knock some teeth in now. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, we were already going to do it, but I'm going to do it harder. And they end up like, I think they blow the shield wall and they, the same as what happens at the end of most of them. 
Except I like Alia. They keep some of her lines from the book that like make him afraid some more. Yes. You know, taunting yeah. the oh, Baron in if front it isn't of the, the Emperor. Fat baron himself. Yeah. Yeah. And the Reverend Mother comes in and she's like, Abomination <laughs> <laughs> Destroy the Abomination. And uh Alia's like, Sup, hey everybody. Like I'm I'm happy to be here. The only thing we don't get and I'm sad is that scene from David Lynch's Dune where Alia's like stabbing people and then she's like, la, 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 la. She like leans, <laughs> leans back as there's like an electric guitar riff and she's like holding her bloody knife aloft. <laughs> but she, or as they describe in the book, as any good Fremen child does, yes. they clean up the corpses. They, at the go, end out, of the they go out and kill the wounded. Yeah. She's out killing the wounded like any good Fremen child. <laughs> But she kills the Baron. She does the whole, like, I'm freaking you guys out because I'm a child, but I'm, like, prescient because I was pre-born. I have all these memories. You know, the the best part of Alia, which is just like, oh, I'm sorry, was I not supposed to know that? Bloops! She's yeah, like the, the disturbing aspect. Yeah. The, my brother comes. And she's like, yeah, my brother. You know my brother, Paul? Paul Atreides? Paul Muad'Dib Atreides? That guy? that guy in fact Irulan calls it she's like can't you see the resemblance father doesn't she look like paul to you yeah and he's like and he's dumbfound. like he's speechless oh shit and then uh the baron tries to grab her because shit's i mean there's a storm coming stuff's blown up baron can baron can finally um See the writing on the walls. Yeah. Well, he tries to continue to stay in the Emperor's good graces by grabbing Alia, and she slashes him with the Gonjabar. And she's like, you finally met the Atreides Gonjabar. And then she, like, throws it down on the ground, like, boop, that old thing, and then dips off. <laughs> like, what? Hold on. Who you should Is this, like, an artifact? Do I like how he's just this? floating. Like, dead floating in the next several scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get uh, shoot him up, bang, bang. Pew, 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 death. And we we get pretty quickly to the, like, I don't know, throne room. Yeah. Uh, and the dagger fighting. Yeah, we do. But I, like, can we take a moment to talk about Stilgar's hat? <laughs> <laughs> What's up with Stilgar's hat? Why does he look like it a Keebler like a, elf? <laughs> the, like, it folds forward and down Why at the top. Why did he look like a Keebler elf? <laughs> All he needed was a little bell on the end <laughs> <laughs> to hang in front Is of Is that his like um, Tingle from uh, Zelda? <laughs> yeah, he looked like Tingle from Zelda. <laughs> and it even has this like cowl part that. Right? It, like every like other time we've seen Stilgar with anything on his head, it's a cool looking hood. Yeah. That's part of his like still yeah, suit. Yeah, but that's his like outfit. siege outfit. This is his like town outfit. <laughs> <laughs> this is how he dresses this, up. To... This is Stilgar getting ready to like, I'm going to go and do this thing in the throne room. Then I'm hitting the club in a few minutes. <laughs> that's when he hit. That's, that, that's why the, the bell bells isn't on. detached. That's, yeah. good. that's why he puts the bell on later. <laughs> Does he have curly toed shoes? Inquiring minds want to know. It's wild. I don't know. Everyone else has on hats of varying ridiculousness. Even Chani has like a kind of papyrus flower hat. 
Except Paul, who's shirtless and wearing a skirt, a skort, one might say. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's pants and a skirt. So would it be a scant? <laughs> because it's ankle length. And spl- I don't know. It's supposed to probably feel like Asian, kind of that like Japanese samurai, like split pants. I can do my, my martial arts thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going for, I guess. And he's got on like a headband, like a head wrap with his like hair. Matt was like, oh, the hair. <laughs> <laughs> we finally get the fluffy hair, the like flicked up. Very early 2000s, like yeah. bad boy hair. This is the exact same hairstyle that Ben Affleck has in the Daredevil movie. The I cut my hair all approximately one inch in length, and then I just spiked it all up around my entire head. And then tied a headband around it. Badass. Irulan has a hat on. I do like her hat. Irulan's outfits are clutch, some might say. They are nice. Are Every, they on fleek? They, I don't think we say that anymore. No, that, that's why it's fun. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, they are on point. They are fire. <laughs> How many more stupid Gen Z slang words can we say? Um, they don't make me want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> They're really, really... And a lot of them are extremely form-fitting. This actress was not comfortable. She could not walk. Um, but she's got this like pleated silk, like full length gown on. And then she has this really cool hat and this like shawl cape thing. And it makes for some really cool angles. And she stands in some really cool because like her. We have the conference and Paul is like, I think we all know, you know, I win. <laughs> Checkmate. Hashtag winning. Hashtag winning. And Irulan's like, well, I think we all know how to solve this problem. I think I should sacrifice myself and marry him. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm really having to force oh, myself into this. This is going to be so hard. Paul's like leaning back in the chair shirtless. And she's like, oh, no, I have to marry Paul. Atreides. Father, save me. Father, make it stop. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, Irulan, I won't let you do this. And she's like. Just a little? Can you, can, you, can you let me do it a little? And this is when Fade pops up and he's like, I I, I, I invoke Conley. Canley? Canley? I, I invoke Conley. And they're like, you do? And he's like, yeah, Vendetta. Like, he's the last of his house. I'm the last of my house. We should I, probably I wanted, each other up. I wanted someone to pop in, like in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> where more like guidelines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But what about the pirate code? Well, they're really more of just guidelines. They're more really. like guidelines. <laughs> yeah. But no. when uh, when what's her name says parley. Yeah. Yeah. yeah parley. I wanted I wanted him to say Kenley and someone be like, you know, it's it's really just guidelines. It's, it's, like yeah, you do it's fine. It doesn't count here. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And Paul, of course, is like, well, does he fight with your blade? And the Emperor's like, fuck yeah, he fights with my blade. And so they give the Emperor back his blade because he's been disarmed which they remembered and they give him back his blade and he gives it to fade. And then we get our fight with fade, which Matt pointed out. We kind of ditched shields. We haven't seen anything about shields right. and we don't cover the fact that like shield fighting is entirely different from unshielded fighting. And that Paul at one time was really skilled in shielded fighting, but he has since adapted to unshielded fighting and Fade is still really good at shield fighting. Right. And so in the book, at the end, it's a shield fight. Yeah. And that's why Fade has the edge. 
And that's why he uses the hip dart thing. Yeah. Because he can get in close and move that in slowly. Right. Rather than depending on his dagger in his hand. And I always want it to be like a little, still like a little actual needle instead of like a spike. Because right? it's supposed to be stealthy. Right. It's supposed to be a secret thing. Yeah. That he can stab you with and then pull back and nobody even knows anything happened. Yeah. Hypodermic. That's the word I was looking for. It's I always wanted to be a hypodermic needle, but it's never is. It's always this giant hunkin thing. I guess so it it's shows so you can up. see it. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course he loses. He gets stabbed in the chin. And then Paul's like, Great, Irulan, you're with me. And Irulan's like, Oh no. Father save me. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. That was a lot. Oh, I don't have to ever talk to Fade again, thank God. <laughs> He's never gonna come creepy talk to me when I'm at the water cooler anymore. <laughs> and we get this really cool shot because she walks into the center and then she flicks her cape over her shoulder so we get this really cool narrow silhouette and then everything around her fades except this spotlight on her and so we get this really cool like the lighting sense of isolation just by changing the way she's lit and we get the line of like, I hope she finds solace in her books because she'll have little else. And, you know, history. Yeah, you know, Jessica's we, line to Chani. Yeah, you may call us concubines, but history will call us wives. And we get Chani walking up to Paul and that's the end of the show. Fiend. Fiend. So what is your overall thoughts on the uh, the Frank Herbert's Dune? I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, the only other real adaptation we've discussed is David Lynch's. And, uh, I mean, the bar was low. <laughs> yes, that's the fair. The bar that's for very fair. adaptation and it's was low. how long it took for anybody else to even attempt to do a better job than the 1984 Dune. Yeah. Um, 13 years? 1984, so 16 years. 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. Wait, was it 84 or 87? I think it's 84. Because we just watched Lost Boys. That's what you're thinking. And Lost Boys came out in 1987. That's right. But 1984 is Dune. And so 16 years. And the book itself is written in the 60s. So it's 40 years after the book itself is written. The fact that this book has that kind of lasting power. Although if you think about it, The Lord of the Rings has had that many sporadic adaptations. Because we got The Lord of the Rings Lord animated. Lord of the Rings was also published in 65. Or at least Fellowship of the Ring. I'd have to look. It when was the we 60s. Do, when we do our Lord of the Rings deep dive. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, not like not in a bad way. Just like, that's a lot. I know. Well, you know what? That's what we're in for. That's what you guys are here for. Are we going to go through the entire 15 books of the lore of Middle Earth? Honey, we don't do anything but go deep. <laughs> Balls deep. <laughs> the Lays of Beleriand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, and I think it's good. I think... Even with the small amount of CG there is, that is not great, 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 but it's okay. Don't get bogged down in the special effects. I know I've stood on that soapbox before. I feel like I've stood on the soapbox before, but it's one that I feel is really important is a lot of these older stories are great stories and you get stuck on the special effects and you don't experience the story itself. You miss out on so much. Yeah. Re refine your senses to focus on the relevant aspects of the story rather than the flashy parts. 
Yeah. Of the film. I was trying to, I just articulated this to Matt earlier, as I was trying to think about like, when I watch a new movie and the CG is shitty, I get angry. When I watch 2000, you know, miniseries and the CG is shitty, I don't give a shit. I don't care. And I was thinking, well, it's kind of like this. If I know I'm getting McDonald's for dinner and I get a McDonald's burger for dinner, it's perfectly fine. If it's an adequate burger, it's fine. If it's a great burger, that's even better. If it's a, you know, it's cold and I need to microwave it, it's fine. You know, it's cool. Right. It's you a knew you were getting McDonald's. I knew what I was getting. I got what I thought I was getting. Dunzo. If I'm going to a brand new movie and I'm expecting a steak and I get a McDonald's burger, I'm fucking pissed. I came out for a steak. You got me out here. By telling me I was going to get steak. And instead, you gave me a McDonald's burger. I'm not happy. Can I be happy with a McDonald's burger? Yeah, if that's what I'm expecting. But not when you set my expectations up to be something else. So just remember, you're getting McDonald's for breakfast or dinner or whatever. And don't worry about it. Enjoy the story for what it is. Even the silly hats. I'm doing a cut of the silly hats. I'm going to have to go through each one of these episodes and take little clips of all the silly hats because there are some pretty banging hats. Whoever was the costume director was like, listen, can we have a great sci-fi television show if we don't have hats? <laughs> listen, we, listen. We need, we need to look up hats. <laughs> we need to look up the credits yeah. for costume people. Find them on Instagram, and then when you post your Instagram reel of, like, the top ten hats of Dune, of Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'll rank them. I don't you think can, you can. It'd be like choosing between my children. <laughs> the Just the showcase of the hats. Yes. The, and and tag all the people. And <laughs> that, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. I'll have to give that a shot. But, I mean, the hats. Uh, most of them are pretty cool i yeah. love the costumes for in this show generally when you have a lot of like experimental stuff that you're just you come up with a thousand ideas and you do all of them and just throw them out and see what works yeah you know you, you have to you have to work through the bad ones and find the good ones but but there's a lot of variation here and there's a lot of good ones yeah there are. I think there really, really are. I know we're just talking about hats right now, but I feel like it's important. The entire aesthetic of a show is important, especially in these older shows. They didn't have like property street cred to cash in on. They had to sell you on themselves. You know, they're not, I'm in the MCU. Ooh, you're going to watch me because I'm in the MCU or I'm in the st I'm Star Wars canon or some shit like that. This was an obscure sci-fi novel that hadn't been adapted since the 80s, and that was a flop. I was trying to tell a friend about Dune, and she's like, what's Dune? And it was just like processor error. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the screen went blank, and there was just the cursor blinking. And I was just oh, like, man. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know how to go with this. Like, you don't know it. You haven't even heard of Dune? Like, Dune's I don't, I don't know where to start. What? 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 Why are we friends? <laughs> I need to go. <laughs> just, 
you know, like it took a while to reload and be, I was like, oh, it's like a really important sci-fi novel, kind of like Lord of the Rings is to fantasy. And she was like, oh, okay. Well, that sounds nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I mean, you're not talking built-in audience. I guess that's what I'm going for. There's a built-in yeah. audience for a lot of the shows that they make right now. Or you have like, you're following an actor. Ooh, that actor was in this MCU show or this <laughs> Star Wars show or whatever. And now they're going to be in this. And I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like they had an assignment and they knocked it out of the park. I think that's how I feel about 100%, this. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they, the assignment was like, make this real, make it work on screen. Here's $10,000. <laughs> stack of cocaine. <laughs> a pound of cocaine and a pack of cigarettes. What, what is it? Um, it was like thirty million. Yeah, thirty million dollars. Thirty-five million dollars for the for the whole yeah, miniseries. Yeah, tr- like translated up to yeah. two thousand twenty-three dollars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, ten million dollars an episode. Some of these episodes have shit ton of extras. They have some. They're movies. It's three movies. It's three movies. Now you you save on like the total film costs because you have a lot of shared casting stuff. Yeah, a lot of shared sets. That kind of thing, but and the CG still... was most of their budget. Yeah, the CG worms. Yeah, yeah the and, CG worms and the three to five birds in the <laughs> in the background <laughs> on the matte painting. Yeah, um, go back and rewatch them. You know, you want to do it anyway. And this time, just pay attention to the matte paintings because how they try to create the matte depth, painting. they just throw some birds on there, and there's sometimes it's three, just like bird silhouettes. Five, and they just fly fly off to the left <laughs> and it's the same one like the mouse alia sees the mouse the yes Mu'adib. and it's the exact same the exact animation same animation because they couldn't that shit was expensive that, that mouse rendering expensive in 2000 yeah wow yeah like yeah. hella expensive and then we had some spaceship scenes because mm-hmm. we have the cool spacing guild spaceships oh, yeah. where they're all different pieces Yep. I really like that. I like the spaceship design. The like cylinder with the like like but they're the being pieces held aren't together. actually connected. Yeah. yeah. Because they don't have to travel like they don't have to have velocity through space. Right. They literally just get folded. They don't have to have structural integrity. Right. It's pretty wild. And I yeah. like it. And we have a couple of like long and it shots. implies and the sand explosions. Uh, yes. <laughs> the sand explosions that we recycle. Like a bunch. Uh, it was better than the 1984 Dune scene where they had the camera like eight inches off the ground and they're just like <laughs> panning over slowly sand. over the sand. <laughs> <laughs> that was a poor filming decision. Yeah. You could have gotten that effect a lot better in different ways. Look, they you, what you were supposed to do is spend the $2,000 and then do the Coke, but they did the Coke and then they spent the $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> in 1984, dude, you know, dude, yeah. which I'm sure also involved cocaine. <laughs> Let's just all admit it. That was the 80s. But I don't think we really need to say any more about it. I think we've really covered it all, which is just like, if you, I'm hopefully you watch this. We didn't spoil the story. We all know the story of Dune. Right. Um, hopefully you will go and watch this because it's worth it. And I hate that it's been forgotten in the way that it has. Just because it's in the whole, like, 2000s miniseries bubble. Right. And 
Okay. Some of them are not great. It's fine. Well, we can all acknowledge that. But the, the early sci-fi miniseries outings are all stellar. Before they even aired this, they, they greenlit Children of Dune. They were already working on Children of Dune when this was airing. And it was one of the most successful miniseries sci-fi ever made. And then they made Children of Dune, which is just as successful in my opinion. Yeah. And then they made Taken, which is fucking fabulous. And someday we'll do Taken. Just don't let the 2000s of it all get to you. That's all. Lean yeah. into it. Enjoy it for what it is, which is great. It's a great adaptation. Especially now that we're not going to get to watch Dune Part 2 until... Who knows when. Who knows when. And why. Right, whatever. For the, for the strike. It, the idea was the strike. Okay. Because the strike is like going on four months now. Is it only four months? Or longer, four or five I think months. It's longer. Maybe five months. But I yeah. know they just announced that they're going to stop paying a whole bunch of A-list actors. Ah. Uh, okay, I support this then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the studios were like, you don't want to come back? Fine, we're not going to pay you. <laughs> Guys, you're not on the right side. <laughs> Are know we the that. baddies? <laughs> Are you, am I the bad guy? You're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. If you're trying to keep people from like earning money to eat and you're sitting in your yacht while you do it, you aren't the good guy. This isn't going to end well for you. Sorry. Not yeah. sorry. Hashtag not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, we can draw this out a little bit. But the saga of Dune is far from over. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for the Strange and Beautiful Book Club Deep cut Dune edition of Children of Dune. Yes. The sci-fi miniseries. Well, no, now we're going to do um, the two books. Oh, that's right. We got to do the books first. Yes, we're going to do the books. And then the adaptation. We're going to do Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Stay tuned for yeah. Strange and Beautiful Book Club, Deep Cut Dune edition, Dune Messiah <laughs> and Children of Dune. Yeah. The books. Hopefully we can we can do those in one episode each. I think Dune Messiah we can do in one. Children of Dune... Probably two. Okay, well, we will cross that bridge when we get there. And then we'll do Children of Dune. And then we'll do the new Dune adaptation. Yeah. All righty. See you then. I think you should do the oh. remember some because we haven't okay. been doing it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I miss it. So. so remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.